Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. And Bruce Nolan. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. Thanks so much, everybody, for coming back and joining us again for this episode of the Nick and Nolan Show. Again, Eric Wood is with us, special guest of the podcast this week. Bruce Nolan is off, and we are digging into a conversation that Eric had with former Bills quarterback E.J. Manuel, who was on What's Next with Eric Wood, Eric Wood's podcast, a couple of weeks ago. And it was it was a really terrific conversation that if you haven't already listened to at least the clip that we're going to dig into today, please go back and your podcast feed and play yesterday's episode because what Eric and I are going to talk about is a lot of things that EJ said and Eric's perspective on that and my perspective from being just a fan at the time and how fans experienced all that and and we'll go from there but please uh, make sure you listen to that first before you dig into this podcast. Eric, let me just open with this this kind of larger question. When EJ came in, you know, there was, I think, a lot of pressure put on him before he ever even set foot on the field because he was a first round quarterback. He was drafted in a situation where the Bills did not have an obvious starting long term answer at quarterback. And he was, you know, his draft position alone tells everybody that this is who the organization believes is going to be the answer at the quarterback position for the foreseeable future. How did, when you think back to that time, being a player in the locker room before EJ was there and then when he entered, what was the experience like uh, for from your end of things with him coming in and, and, you know, players I would assume had a similar understanding of what the expectation for him was? And, uh, and what do you remember about that time? Yeah, EJ came in as a first-round draft pick, and and I was a first-round draft pick as well, and I know what that feeling is like. You know, you're expected to come in and start. You're expected to come in and perform at a high level right from the bat, and, and there is some pressure with that, and, and EJ felt it for sure. But, but what EJ did is he came in humble. He came in hardworking. He would put in a ton of hours at, at the facility, and, and that's what you're supposed to do as a quarterback. He wasn't out partying. He did all the right things. We just we just didn't string enough wins together to give EJ time 
to develop in Buffalo, but that's the nature of the business. If you're not winning in the NFL, there's going to be coaching turnover. There's going to be turnover at the quarterback position. And, and when EJ came in, was he ready to be a day one start in the NFL? Maybe. He played a lot of games in college. He had a lot of experience. But I think with any young quarterback, you know, just looking throughout the history of the NFL, it, it benefits them to to either sit for a period of time or have a very strong veteran presence in the room. And, and neither of those things happen for EJ. Kevin Cobb was somebody that EJ spoke about on the podcast, and, and you actually mentioned him whenever you were introing that clip yesterday. Kevin Cobb was supposed to be the guy that was going to give EJ that space and that time to learn. And then he goes down with an injury that of course nobody expects. And ultimately he never, he never even winds up playing again after the the concussion and the knee injury that, that preseason. So whenever EJ then, you know, was put in a position where he was going to play. Right. And players, you know, I, I would imagine that the team is united in their support for the guy, right? Especially whenever there's not this quarterback controversy because there isn't another player that maybe, you know, players are clamoring for that they want to see him start, right? The guy behind him was Jeff Tool, an un- undrafted rookie free agent, right? So, I mean, that's that's probably not a high candidate for people to become uneasy and, and restless to see that guy play. But whenever the team has to adjust to a quarterback coming in and playing when they're young, and of course, EJ at this point, I don't think he would have gotten to the point where he was talking about his confidence being compromised or anything like that. What's the shift like for the rest of the guys? I mean, everybody's on a ticking clock with their career in the NFL. They're notoriously short and you, you you, you need to have success or at least individually, if not as a team, in order to create some longevity for your career. What is the thought process whenever things change like that and you have a guy come in who's going to play that maybe everyone is aware the organization by design didn't expect him to play right away. Yeah, but but we had a lot of confidence in EJ at the time. EJ had come in, like I said, as, as everyone knows, as a first-round draft pick, but then he played pretty well in the preseason. He ended up uh, getting dinged up as well in the preseason. He got his own knee injury uh, his rookie preseason, but when he started against uh, the Indianapolis Colts, he played really well in the preseason. Um, we had a, I remember we had a two minute drive right before the half and, and we cap it off with a touchdown. I remember thinking like EJ Manuel's got some pretty good game. Like we could win some ball games with him and the opening game of the, of the year, his very first start in Orchard Park, we should have beat New England. Um, if we catch a ball on third down at the end of the game and extend that drive, that was, that was in Stevie's hands, which Stevie never drops the ball. If he catches that ball, you know, and, and I don't, I don't mean to put that entire game on, on Stevie. There was a lot that happened, but but we're one play away from beating New England in EJ's very first start. And then the next week, EJ leads us on a comeback against the Carolina Panthers in Orchard Park, and we win. So there was a lot of confidence around EJ at that time, and we definitely weren't thinking to ourselves, um, you know, he's he's weighing over his head or something. Eventually, some hardships did come, and EJ, his career in Buffalo never went the way that he wanted to. It certainly didn't go the way the fans wanted it to, because I think that, you know, fans often, whatever fans of, of a team, not just of the game in general or of a player, but of a team, we, we're rooting for all of the guys who wear the Bills jerseys until we're not, right? Until, as long as they're playing with our colors on, we want them their success because their success means that we are probably winning or closer to winning or, or whatnot. So what is it like from a player's end of things 
and you may not speak for yourself because you had a, a long, successful career in Buffalo. And I think that, you know, still have a very positive relationship with the fans. But EJ spoke about how, you know, eventually things changed to a point where he felt as though Bill's fans didn't like him. And I think that there's probably, you know, there's probably some some truth to that, you know, especially whenever the appetite for the team to move on from him was there after Rex came in and Tyrod and stuff like that. So. I guess what I'm so interested in, and it, it, this is a long-winded way to get into this, but I assume that professional athletes, football players, you know, the vast majority of the time are trying their absolute hardest to do what they're supposed to, to be good, right? to, to have success. And a lot of them have experienced a lot of success up till that point in their career. I mean, they've, they're in the NFL, which is the, the, the big show, right? So in college and in high school and things like that, a lot of most guys probably experienced some pretty significant success. You've been around a long time and the bills did not win as much as, as anybody wanted them to whenever, you know, most of your career until, until the end there, uh, whenever the playoff drought ended, what's it like for guys as they start to transition or whenever things start to turn where maybe some of their own optimism or their own confidence becomes compromised. Yeah, it's a tough deal. And, and you know, like, like you mentioned, no one's out there uh, not trying to be their best. That's why even like when I'm on the call for games, now I do college and NFL, you know, I, I try not to be too hard on the individual players. Now I might say this guy should have made that play or he should have made that catch but but I'm not going to personally attack these guys. I'm not going to ever talk about, you know, this guy stinks or needs to be replaced because because these guys are out there putting in a lot of work on a day-to-day basis, and these are the best of the best in the world. And, you know, up front, you know, on the offensive line, if we'd ever get beat, you would you would be distraught about it. You'd be ticked off. I, I would throw my helmet on the sideline sometimes and have all these antics. But, you know, Jeff Hangardner told me earlier in my career and always stuck with me, like, those guys get paid too. The defensive linemen get paid too. You're going to have plays where you get beat in your career. You got to chill out, and you know you always want the fans to to appreciate you. That's that's human nature, I, I believe. And and when the when the tide shift on you, which you kind of did with EJ, it it hurt him, and and that hurt his confidence. Um, and and he talks about it through the podcast, and and you know. A lot of times it's, yes, did, did they dislike EJ's play on the field at times? Yes. But there's I, I would, if you ever got a chance to, to get to know EJ Manuel, no one would say, I dislike this guy as a person. But it, sometimes as an athlete, it's hard to distinguish that. That, I think, is one of the things that, I, that really bumped me about the podcast that, that, that made me want to have this conversation is that I didn't know EJ. I mean, I, I've watched interviews and heard interviews of him, and he always seemed like a personable, well-spoken, you know, he was very much trying to wear the leader hat of being quarterback who toes the line and says the right things and all of that. But I didn't get a, I didn't get a great sense of his personality or the, you know, the, the, the person that he is in real life, you know, so to speak. And I think that's shown through uh, so beautifully in the, in the conversation that you had with him, which is, I probably didn't play a significant portion of that for people. So they should go listen to it on your, on your podcast. But, you know, he was so likable and it made me, you know, maybe this is just, you know, me being softer or, or being sensitive or whatnot, but it made me mourn even more the fact that EJ 
didn't have the career that we all wanted him to have in Buffalo, that he didn't have the success that, you know, everyone wanted whenever he was brought on the team because he seemed exactly like the kind of person that we would all want to root for if we did know him in that more personable way. Yeah, I think that's 100% accurate. You know, everyone that gets the chance to meet EJ um, truly loves him. He's a hardcore competitor. Um, you know, if we would have played better as a team around him, if he would have made a few more plays, there's a lot of ifs you could say. If there was a veteran presence in the quarterback room to help guide him, if um, you, we could just we could just keep playing those games, EJ would have been, um, you know, a phenomenal figure to lead the franchise, very similar to Josh Allen how he is now, does all the right things, says all the right things, passionate about giving back to the community. Josh has got a great relationship with Oshai Children's Hospital. EJ would have done similar things and would have been a guy who could have led the franchise and represented us extremely well. Take a sidestep to talk about Josh Allen since you mentioned him for a moment. You know, this part of the offseason, guys like Cam Newton, Jameis Winston are still free agents. And there has been conversation amongst Bills fans about whether or not upgrading the quarterback two position would be in the team's best interest. And I think there's another thought out there that says, well, maybe that's okay. Maybe that's that's true to an extent. But Matt Barkley and Josh Allen seem to have a really strong, good relationship where Barkley has taken up the role and, he, and believes it to be to support Josh. And that if you bring in somebody like Jameis Winston or or Cam Newton, who's had either a lot or some level of success in the NFL, then as soon as things start to turn or as soon as Josh has one or two bad games, then the fans, certainly, who have far less discipline about what is going to maybe ultimately be best for the team and are very just focused on win this week, are going to start, you know, becoming anxious and and advocating for seeing that other player. And then, you know, that potentially could wind up in the locker room too, especially with some guys who are in the Bills locker room played with Cam Newton. You know what I mean? I don't know that there's any former teammates of Jameis Winston on the team, but there are guys who, you know, it, it would get complicated. And I wonder if since so much of what EJ spoke about and you and you and him spoke about was that dynamic in the quarterback room that would have made a difference for him. Do you have a very strong opinion about people who are suggesting that, you know, bring Cam Newton in as a backup or bring Jameis Winston in as a backup or, or where you stand about what the bills are doing with, with Josh Allen in the quarterback room right now? You know, I, I think you're in a position right now with Josh Allen where you're not paying him that much money. still on his rookie contract where you don't want to go, um, spend a ton of money on your backup quarterback, which would, which Jameis Winston and Cam Newton are both going to require um, a good amount of money more than the bills will want to spend for their backup quarterback position. And, and yes, I, I don't think there's any point in bringing in one of those two guys to lead to, um, you know, dissension amongst the fan base with Josh. And yeah, we should play this guy. And I think uh, you hit now on the head that Josh and Matt Barkley have a great relationship. You can tell when Josh comes to the sideline, he's looking to Matt Matt is giving him guidance. Matt is helping him um, with some pre or post snap reads. And I think right now you you're happy with what you have in the quarterback room and the direction it's heading in Buffalo with those two guys there, because if Josh Allen can make the same progress from year two to year three, as he did year one to year two, you're going to really like a product you see on the field this year. That's certainly what we're all hoping for. One of the things that I think, hit me with the commentary about EJ. And this is actually something that you just said 
offhand, and it, it ties into something that he mentioned in the in the conversation with you on your podcast. But you made a comment that after you guys recorded this episode of What's Next with Eric Wood, and he participated in the roast, and so he got to come back to Buffalo, he got to interact with fans. You know, you've heard feedback from people like myself and others, I'm assuming, who who said that they enjoyed the EJ conversation. You've relayed that to him. And you made the comment that he, that he said or you said for him that that was good for his soul. And he addressed in the podcast, there was a time whenever he was playing against the Bills under Sean McDermott as a quarterback uh, for either Kansas City or Oakland. I, I didn't catch which which team he was with at the time. It was Oakland. It was Oakland. Okay. And that McDermott approached him and said, hey, are you, are you good? And that EJ, upon, you know, sitting back from that after that interaction for a while, said that he felt like McDermott, you know, genuinely cared about him. But EJ at the time was still kind of like, oh, I'm grateful to be out of Buffalo. I don't want to be there. They don't want me. All that stuff. Can you talk about that anymore, about that, what's happened since he even interacted on your podcast and what's come of that and, and the roast and all that, where he stands with that stuff now and if he's still has the same, I don't know, the same perspective about everything that is Buffalo now as he did, you know, uh, a few weeks ago or a couple months ago before he spoke to you. Yeah, I would think EJ is going to spend more time in Buffalo now after kind of feeling some love from the fans, seeing everybody at the roast um, and being around everybody. I would assume that EJ will be back around more. Um, like, like I mentioned, and you mentioned it as well, he said that was really good for him to go back up there and, and um, kind of, kind of, I don't want to say close a chapter, but um, you know, when he left, it just kind of left open-ended. Like he didn't know how people felt about him. Does everyone hate me up here? This and that. Well, he got such a great reception at the roast. Now we all roasted EJ about losing games and having a short career at Buffalo, but uh, that was all in fun. And, um, I, you know, I think, I think he really enjoyed being back around. So without talking about EJ specifically and without talking about any players specifically, you know, like I, like you and I are both aware of, everybody's aware of that your tenure in Buffalo, unfortunately was for the vast majority of it was during the drought, which was, I would imagine something that all the players were aware of and kind of hung over the organization's head. And EJ was not the only player that came in that I'm assuming you you thought was a, a good, likable person that you enjoyed playing with, that you cared about, who, you know, wasn't a person that was able to see through the end that the drought ended, right? Wasn't, a, wasn't one of the people who was able to really contribute to the organization getting that done. And thus, you know, their, their time in Buffalo was limited or it wasn't thought of as, as positively as everyone wanted it to be whenever they first signed their contract. Being a part of an organization where that was so much of your experience, do you have any any thoughts or any wisdom about guys come in and it, part of it is it's just the business, right? You've already made you already made that comment earlier. Like in the in the in the NFL, the business is winning. If you don't win, there's consequences. But it also has to be hard to be a part of the organization and one of the mainstays, right? A guy like you and Kyle Williams who are there year in, year out, who do have a long extended career in that organization and to see so many other guys suffer, you know, somewhat to say the consequences of the organization not doing as well as everyone wants it to. Yeah, there was a ton of turnover during my time there in Buffalo, and, and that comes from losing games, and that comes from making coaching changes, which comes from losing games. Um, 
And, and, you know, I played for seven head coaches in nine years. Two of those were interims. Uh, but I played for seven different head coaches. Well, each head coach has guys that he wants to bring in or guys that he's comfortable with. Thank God um, I was able to kind of prove myself or, um, you know, the, the head coach wanted to keep me around each time that there was a switch. But for a lot of guys, there's just so much turnover. So, yes, I, I got to meet a ton of good people in Buffalo um, and a ton of good coaches that are littered throughout the NFL now and, and, and throughout college, which makes it which makes it great for my broadcasting because I got to play in a number of different offenses. So it's easy for me to call games in that regard. I have a lot of familiarity with um, coaches um, and, and can get information from people or um, it's, I see a lot of familiar faces before games on the field. Um, so there, there is some positives to all the turnover, I guess. Yeah. During the, the time that you were there in Buffalo, I, I, you know, I think probably really, really fondly of the, the unit that you were a part of with, I, I think one of your best friends, you've said multiple times on your podcast, Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, Fred Jackson, Stevie Johnson, you know, that was a, under Chan Gailey as a head coach, that was a, a part of, um, the drought history. That was a team that seemed to, really have some synergy, maybe at least on the offensive side of the ball, where guys cared about each other and you know, were having a lot of fun. Maybe Fitzpatrick was a big part of that because of his personality and, and being that that leader position of the quarterback and, and keeping that, you know, keeping that unit together and the personalities and all that stuff. Can you talk about what it was like before that? And then you could correct me if I'm wrong too, if that, if I'm describing it in a way that's inaccurate, but it just seems like before that there was an era that was a little bit different than there was that era where there was, you know, some, some belief, optimism, a lot of fun. And then ultimately it didn't materialize into long-term winning. And then again, that phase kind of, that era of the drought of the team came to an end. And with you being as close to those guys as you were, can you just talk for a moment about what that was like coming into it and then experiencing it and then, then it coming to an end, but you still being there? Yeah, we ultimately didn't win enough games with that group, but that group was a ton of fun to play with and uh, have a lot of um, uh, friends for life from there. One of my first podcast guests was Fred Jackson. I've had Stevie Johnson on my podcast. Fitz, at some point, Will, and it's, it's fun to rehash some of those memories together. And, and we did care about each other. Uh, we were all like, we were all generally uh, pretty young in our career at the time. We were all trying to either get paid or make a name for ourselves. So we had, we had a chip on our shoulder. Um, and, and man, just some, some great personalities. Fitz, hilarious. Stevie Johnson, hilarious. It was, there was, there was a lot of fun had on those teams. And, and the one cool thing about, there's many cool things about playing in Buffalo. One of the best things about playing in Buffalo, I'll say, is that since it's not a huge city, we all kind of live by each other. We get together outside of the building and we're able to build relationships that in some cities, and I know this because people often talk about it, you it's really hard to get together with guys and get together with other people and their families outside of work because people live so far away and there's so much traffic in these major cities. And in Buffalo, in those times especially, we were going out to eat all the time, having a ton of fun together. When that era, you know, you, you mentioned again, you didn't win enough games. So maybe it was a foregone conclusion and you expected it or you knew that it was going to happen, that the that unit was not going to stay together, you know, indefinitely. You know, I think maybe the first the first domino that fell was was Chan being let go. But whenever it became obvious that that was coming to an end, 
And then the next thing started, you know, in the midst of it, I can imagine maybe just being like, okay, this is, you know, I got to just chug along. I got to prove myself again. You're, you're concerned primarily about yourself and your family and all of that. I, again, that may or may not be true, but you can, that's, I, I would guess that that's possible. But at the same time, was there any part of you that really lamented the fact that it was, that it was going to, you know, things were going to change uh, because you believe that that was something that was possible or was it a situation where you thought, yeah, I mean, the change has to happen because something's not right? No, I mean, I would have loved if, if a number of those regimes could have stayed together. Now I think the bills are in tremendous shape right now, but throughout my time, I just felt like we were, we were switching coaches so often it was hard to draft for a certain scheme and it was hard to build any depth because the guys that we had just drafted for, for the previous scheme, now we're changing it up. We're hopping from a four, three to a three, four. And, 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 you know, I remember the morning, uh, that we came into the building and they were going to let Chan and his staff go and how tough that was because we were close with those coaches too. Joe Dallas Andrus, the offensive line coach, will be a friend of mine for off, for life. And, uh, you know, I root for him um, greatly. With He's with the Ravens now and, and staying close contact with him. And, you know, it, it would have been awesome if we could have had more success. Um, and, and, you know, on offense, we'd have a, a, a good run, and we just couldn't put together both sides of the ball. And, and and I think a lot of that comes with continuing to switch schemes and just not really having much depth. So as soon as we'd have an injury, um, we were kind of out of luck at times. Do, do you think that front offices and, and maybe you know coaches in general or organizations in general, do they, do they not value – the as much consistency as possible schematically, even if you are going to make a change from one coach to another coach, from one defensive coordinator to another defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator to another offensive coordinator. Do you think that it, it is something that teams don't care enough about? Because this is one of the first times I've ever heard somebody really kind of say like, man, we went through this over and over again. I can attest to how hard it is to constantly have to do this. But, you know, I don't think that, uh, you know, pick your team, pick your organization, they release, they, they fire either their head coach or a coordinator and they bring in the next guy. I don't know that the, you know, valuing schematics or the, the type of offense or defense that they run, does it match what they were doing previously is always a high priority because what you were doing previously wasn't working, right? So can you just speak on that for a moment? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, continuity is so big in the NFL. I had a conversation with Tom Brady um, after one of the games in Buffalo and we were in the tunnel and um, I was talking to him and he was, he was saying, you know, he was talking to me about the game finally slowing down for him, which seemed crazy to me. This was um, maybe four or five years ago. So he's in his late thirties telling me about how the game's finally starting to slow down for him and he's having so much fun. I'm like, Tom, you've, you've been dominating forever, but he was talking. He said, dude, I've had the same offensive line coach in New England for the last 20 years, same offensive coordinator, same running backs coach, same head coach. So he's been in the same scheme. You know, one year I'm trying to learn how to block in a wide zone offense. The next year uh, I'm trying to block in the power game. The next year it's more of a balanced attack. Whatever it may be, I'm learning this technique from this offensive line coach, this technique from this one. You know, the Patriots offensive linemen that stay in New England, they've been with Dante Scarnecchia for their entire career learning one set of techniques, mastering something. And that is a huge deal in the NFL. Okay. This will be my last question. And it's, it's sort of offhand. It's just what's off with something that you just mentioned. 
the Bills, you know, have one of the few stadiums where both teams enter and exit through the same tunnel, right? There might be a couple other places that do this, but most stadiums nowadays, isn't it true that they that one team goes one direction, another team goes another direction? They don't actually co-mingle at halftime or at the end of the game. Right. Okay. Is that, you know, you're, ta- you're dealing with an awful lot of really competitive guys. Now, I imagine a lot of them are very professional and cordial and your friends across all over the league who you played with previously, either in college or on other teams and whatnot. But there's also occasionally you would see a little bit of, of jawing at guys between, you know, back and forth, especially at halftime, right? Whenever you're in the midst of the competition. Was that, you know, do you have any opinion about that? Or was that just something that was just kind of like you got used to it, but it was always, you know, something you just, uh, something you just experienced in Buffalo. You didn't experience anywhere else. Yeah, it is something you just get used to. And it's funny, even thinking about it, um, you know, you just take it for granted because you did it for so long. And, um, you know, before the game, you're getting ready to go to battle with this team for three hours and you're walking out of the locker room and you just stare. The locker room doors are literally just directly across the tunnel from each other. So you end up seeing guys. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, uh, it stays pretty classy. You know, in the NFL, people all the time ask me, like, who, who talks the most junk in the NFL? You know. I'm like, most of it is in pretty good competitive spirit. You know, rarely do you have, um, especially now with all the microphones out there and all that, people kind of watch their mouth on on the field and they're not trying to embarrass themselves. They're not trying to get fined, doing something, something stupid going in and out of the tunnel. A lot of times at halftime and even after the game, you're so dang tired and then the tunnel is an upward slant. So you're like, all right, now i got to climb up this, this, this ramp or take the steps and I was more worried about conserving energy than I was bickering or jawing at someone heading into the tunnel from the other team. All right. Awesome. Eric, I uh, can't thank you enough, man. I appreciate your time so much. Thank you for sharing the audio with these listeners, at least a portion of it from your conversation with EJ. Thanks for your generosity of your time and digging into some of this stuff and sharing some of your experiences. Before I let you go, you want to tell people where they can find you and tell them about the podcast one more time. Yeah, I'm on social media at Ewood70 on Instagram and Twitter. And then uh, my podcast is called What's Next with Eric Wood. Please give it a listen. Kyle Williams will just be released. I had an awesome interview with him. Awesome conversation catching up with him. And uh, I think Bill's fans will thoroughly enjoy it. But, you know, just trying to put out some content that uplifts people, inspires people. And through this crazy time right now with coronavirus, um, you know, get into some podcasts and, and get into some podcasts that, that stretch you to grow, whether that's in your health or your faith or your relationships. Try not to waste this time because because you'll never get this time back and, and enjoy this time with your family. And, and, I, I, and I am very sympathetic that a lot of people are losing loved ones to this disease and jobs. And, and, and there's a lot of people in, in really dire situations right now. But, but if you have the time to tune into a podcast or whatever you you have time for try and fill your time with uh, meaningful stuff right now. Uh, and it'll pay off for you when, when all this is lifted. Yeah, absolutely. I can't agree with that more. And I really enjoyed another episode of yours with Dr. Uh, Daniel Amen about, you know, mental health and about uh, getting into the CTE conversation and all of the things that he does. I mean, that was an incredible conversation, just from my opinion, and sharing about your experience, you know, after retiring and being concerned about your own health with, you know, after banging heads with guys for for all the years that you did. Speaking of that, you know, with the coronavirus, and then since I brought this up, 
how is, you know, your health and your family and everything during this time? I mean, you seem to be doing so wonderful and great, especially with, you know, doing the ACC stuff now and now and working with the bills. But, uh, you know, it seems like you're in a totally different space now than whenever you've started that podcast. But is everything going as well for you guys as it seems? Yeah, we're all good and uh, we're healthy right now. We pray that we continue to be healthy through this coronavirus time and that us, our loved ones and, and everyone out there that we can we can start to see the decline in these numbers that of these cases that are that are being revealed each day. But, yeah, we're all good. We're enjoying this next chapter of life. And yes, playing in the NFL was a dream come true. It was a ton of fun. And would I love to still be playing in the NFL? Sure, I would. I, I loved it. I did not want to give it up. Um you know, it was, it, we, we loved our time in Buffalo. We owned a house in Buffalo. We had great friends that would be friends for life and, and great neighbors up there, And which I'm sure you've heard that one before, City of Great Neighbors. But we had neighbors that we loved up there. And it, it, that was an awesome chapter, but we're enjoying this chapter. And, and we're based out of Louisville, Kentucky, but I'm calling games for ACC Network, and I'm calling the games for the Bills. So we're back in Buffalo a ton, doing some traveling here and there. And we got a four-year-old and a two-year-old at home that keep us extremely busy, but um, you know, they're a total blessing. So, um, yeah, and I appreciate you asking that. All right. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much again, Eric. Have a wonderful day. Uh, Be safe. And we all look forward to listening to the Kyle Williams podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me on. Well, that'll do it. Thank you guys so much for joining me for this special edition. First time of its sort series for the Nick and Nolan show. Obviously Bruce very much enjoyed his rest and if you guys really missed the conversation that bruce and i normally have or the sort of conversation that bruce and i normally have we were guests on a youtube live stream with matt perino and ryan talbot from newyorkupstate.com so if you would like to see us talk about a lot of the current day news topics Head over there and you not only will get to hear us, you will actually get to see me and then you'll get to see Bruce incognito in a, in a masked disguise getup. Go over there and check that out if you would like a little bit more of the normal type of content from Nick and Nolan. But I do hope that you found some value in this conversation with Eric Wood and hearing his conversation with EJ Manuel. You know, it's a, it's a weird time right now with the, the virus and with the quarantine and the social distancing and the working from home or the the getting laid off or furloughed or terminated. It's not good. A lot of it is not good. And I find myself thinking about this time and not only this time, but like what things were like in the recent past and then what things were like even 10 or 15 years ago or 20 years ago in times whenever we just didn't even have the technology that we do now. And that technology is playing such a huge, significant part in our lives right now because it's how we're all staying connected and how many of us are working and all of that stuff. And my mind winds up wandering to, you know, Bill's teams of those times about what what it was like to be a fan back then too. And, you know, it was this was this was a fun time to put myself back in in my mind's eye, imagine what it was like back whenever EJ and Doug Marone were the faces of the organization and Doug Whaley and then before that, when it was Buddy Nix and Chan Gailey and Eric was talking about the times with Stevie and Freddie and, and Fitz, you know, I, I think it's interesting sometimes to look back on that and, and imagine, you know, what we felt about the players and about that situation in the moment and then what a little bit of perspective and a little bit of hindsight brings to our opinions about all those people and about that time. 
So without further ado, I will let you go. I hope you uh, have a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. Would love to hear what you think of the show. Please hit me up on Twitter. You can find me at NickBat, N-I-C-K-B-A-T. And before I let you go for the, the weekend, I do just want to let you know one other thing. So I obviously had this terrific conversation with Eric. And, you know, it was so interesting because during one of the moments where Eric and I were talking... I, I had the mic on, and we weren't like recording, recording. We weren't in the midst of a conversation I was going to use for the podcast. But he said almost the exact same thing that Kyle Williams said whenever Eric was talking to Kyle Williams that I ended last, you know, yesterday's podcast with. And, and, that, and that was, I couldn't believe it, but this is what Eric Wood had to say. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>